Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. You can support this podcast at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. Madison Reed is revolutionizing the way women color their hair with gorgeous salon quality multidimensional hair color delivered to your door on your schedule. Join the hundreds of thousands of women who have tried and who love Madison Reed like me. Visit madison-reed.com and get 10% off plus free shipping on your first color kit with promo code writers. That's madison-reed.com. Use promo code Writers. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On, the podcast about other podcasts and also about true crime, pop culture, journalism. And this week, we look at the sophomore season of Accused, the podcast from the Cincinnati Inquirer, whose debut season was one of my all-time favorite podcasts. Also, in true crime podcast updates, two famous figures are pleading guilty to their crimes. Joining me to dive into all of that and more is my true crime co-author, real-life husband, host of These Are Their Stories, a Law & Order podcast, joining us from his deathbed this evening, Kevin Flint. Hello, Kevin. Rebecca, I want you to continue on if I can't make it. Yeah, so you've got what I had a couple weeks ago, it sounds like. I got it worse. You know what? That's just such a no, man I have thing it worse. to say. Shut up. You, whatever you had, I always have it worse. <laughs> And he's not the only one, because joining us also is journalist, true crime author, licensed private investigator, former defense investigator, dweller in a house with a really strange L-shaped living room, (laughs) the also under the weather, Laura Bricker. Good evening, Laura. Good evening. I think I have the collie wobbles. (laughs) Have you ever heard of the collie wobbles? No. It's a main thing. Um, Yeah, Bert and I, these two lobster fishermen comedians, um, when they got sick, they always had the collie wobbles. So I'm going with that. Sounds pretty podunk, Laura. Sounds pretty podunk. (laughs) And finally, our favorite skeptic and sometimes cynic, the tiny house defender and brilliant novelist behind the City Trilogy and co-host of the Radio Free Dystopia podcast, Toby Ball. Good evening, Toby. Good evening, Rebecca. Now, Toby, on uh, your scale of sickness, one to ten, compared to Laura and Kevin, where would you say you are? Uh, With ten being, like, super sick? Yes, I'm probably like a three. Oh, yeah. got it. Well, I am still a one. I'm still 90%, not 100, like I was last week. Something's going around, guys. It's not good, but now, we're going to Our listeners on. Can, cannot contract anything by listening to us, right? It doesn't come through their headphones, their earbuds. Like ear herpes? <laughs> Hopefully. Well, I do find it somewhat suspect that we all got sick after our live event last mm. week. So yes. I'm wondering what happened. Who showed up and infected everyone? Who didn't wash their hands? <laughs> it was a fun event, though. Was it not, Laura Bricker, the one who like arranged the whole thing? Wasn't the Exeter Historical Society happy with our turnout? Oh, yes. They were they were hugging me all night long. They were very ecstatic about it. And we got to meet Marla, who I'm now calling Annie Oakley from California, yes. one of our super fans. Yep. Um, Connie, another one of our super fans, gave me a very nice giant uh, glass, like a stemless wine glass. But it really could fit like a whole bottle. So, yep. Yep. Um, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. And we also met the super fan who stalked you in real life, which was super fun. Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, my neighbor, Kathleen, who lives up the road. She's awesome. Yeah. So it was it was great. And um, you know, it's, it was on Facebook Live, which is exciting to go back and see. We had people watching from all over the place. Right. And um, a lot of them were like, we want more Toby. Where's Toby? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was on Facebook Live. One of our listeners was nice enough to film it for us. Next time we'll bring a tripod, make it a little more professional. But it was sort of a spontaneous thing and it all worked out. Toby, did you enjoy the event? I had a very good time. Did you enjoy Marla from California most of all? She was very fun. Why, why are we calling her Annie Oakley? Because like when I first met her, she said to me, I don't give a shit about most people, but I like the four of you. And I kind of could like envision her pulling out a pistol or something like and like defending us. Um, 
You know, I also have to say, I got to ride in a car with Rebecca last week, and I am a horrible backseat driver, and she is a very speedy driver. So I did live through that as well. <laughs> oh, God. Sorry. Sorry that you had to be put up with that. <laughs> it's my, rough. It's it, rough. It's rough in my midlife crisis. I kept crisis going, slow down, wagon. slow down, slow down. And she's like, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm like, you're going kind of fast. Sorry about that, Laura. I didn't mean to uh, cause you any additional anxiety than you already have living near a stalker and all. <laughs> it was a great well, event. Well, I know I could get out of town quickly if I needed to. That's true. Yeah. That's true. What were you saying, Kevin? I was going to say, uh, it was a great event, and you can see it, as Laura said on Facebook Live. Last time I checked, it had like 2,000 views. Whoa, which I, really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, because... Some people watched it live, but then right. some people could, you know, watch it at their convenience. Yeah, and it was, wasn't it kind of like Blair Witch and Wobbly, that video? Oh, uh, hey, <laughs> I, shout out to Connie with her arms of steel. You it's had to true. hold that that phone out straight for uh, an hour, 45 yeah. minutes, something Yeah, she like was that. a trooper. Yeah. Well, one programming note, not only do we know what we're talking about next week already, but I think we also know what we're talking about in two weeks, so I'm going to make those announcements right now. Next week, we are going to be talking about the series Mindhunter on Netflix. It is the show everyone is talking about, and as far as I'm concerned, they're talking about it for good reason. And then in two weeks, we're going to be talking about a podcast that is getting a lot of buzz, the new podcast called Heaven's Gate, which is, of course, about the Heaven's Gate cult. And it's going to give Toby a lot of chances to talk about his very academic experience with cults, which I'm really excited about. Are you excited about that, Toby? Yes. Do you ever go undercover, Toby, like into a cult? And <laughs> Yeah, for my final paper. <laughs> <laughs> You're making Kevin cough. No. You didn't? No, it was, all, it was all book reading. Oh, book learning? Just watch some videos. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that episode. I am. And Toby, have you started watching Mindhunter yet? Uh, you know, I haven't since you told me that that's what we were doing. The NBA season started. Oh. And so I've been watching a lot of hoops. Well, prepare yourself. I saw five minutes of the Celtics game and then I'm done. <laughs> but yeah, I'll be well, caught up. Well, once you start, Toby, I could not stop watching. I don't want to give anything away, but I watched it in like two days. Yeah, so, so did we. And yeah. I got to tell you, you know how I feel about those profiler things. My expectations were low. <laughs> and I feel very differently about this than I feel about other media in that genre. So uh, yeah, a little bit of a spoiler alert uh, to our conversation about Mindhunter. We will be talking about it next week. All right, Kevin, you know what I know we should also mention? At some point, a lot of people have been writing to us, uh, Breakdown is also out with a new season. Yes. At some point, we will be talking about it. We just are trying to figure out our calendar. So we'll figure that out. Yeah. Right? All right. So, Kevin, I know you're not feeling well, but can you please read this for me? Okay, I'm going to try. Ready? <sighs> True crime <laughs> podcast update. <laughs> the Halloween edition. All right. So speaking of true crime podcast updates, uh, the S-Town podcast, huge blockbuster podcast that we've talked about many times on the show. Tyler Goodson, the young friend of that podcast's central figure, John B. McLemore, has pled guilty to several theft charges, crimes we actually heard him commit on S-Town. Laura, what is going on in that case? What happened? Oh my goodness, this case. Um, so yes, Tyler Goodson, he pled guilty on Monday to charges linked to events that we heard about in S-Town. And these were the allegations that he stole property from John B. McLemore's land after John died in 2015. What do you mean we heard and about? <laughs> We heard him do it. <laughs> yeah, well, I think we heard. Did we hear him do it? Or we heard him after the fact saying he had gone and done it. But um, anyway, so yeah, he, and, and we all know, we've talked about this, how Tyler said that John had promised him his land and custody of his mother, Mary Grace. He talked with Brian Reed about wanting to leave something for Tyler and his family, but he had never left a will and his estate went to his mother. So he pled guilty to three charges, third degree burglary, third degree theft of property and third degree criminal trespassing. Um, it was also the day that this plea happened was the day that his trial was supposed to start in Bibb County. And the prosecutor in the case, Michael Jackson, the best prosecutor name ever, <laughs> said <laughs> um, he said that Tyler would receive a 10 year suspended jail sentence and spend five years on probation under an agreement. And so they didn't necessarily spell out the agreement. But, you know, we kind of have to assume that since Tyler was originally indicted on 20 counts over the summer, that, you know, this was drop some of the charges in exchange for him pleading guilty to 
some of the other charges. The prosecutor was quoted about this, and he said, given all the notoriety of this case, we are glad we were able to get some convictions. This was a good resolution to the case. There'll be a hearing later about whether Tyler has to pay restitution in this case. And and neither Tyler nor his attorney commented um, in any of the media that I saw on this. But last week, you know, anticipating the trial, this was kind of interesting. His attorney filed a motion asking the judge to bar the podcast S-Town from being mentioned. And among other things, the motion used the seven-prong Vaudry or reliable representation test saying it had to be excluded because the state could not show that no changes, additions, or deletions had been Mm. made saying originally there was 100 hours of audio and it was seven in the final product. So how do they know what was there in the entire picture? Right. Um, And we talked about that, about how Brian Reed couldn't be compelled to produce his original reporting materials because that's very often protected, right, Kevin? Yeah, it's on a a state-by-state basis. Yeah, yeah. Um, He could have been edited to sound like he had stolen all that stuff. Who knows? I mean, I think that's the argument. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Which I don't think he was, but he could have been, right? He could have been like, hey, I'm just kidding, but... (laughs) Hey, Laura, (laughs) so you have worked on a lot of defense, criminal defenses. Um, Yes. I know that in family court, you know, when you go for divorce Mm -hmm. matter or something, like your hearing is all prepped and you're ready to go and like... Most of the time, you try to hammer out a last-minute deal mm-hmm. before the judge yeah. actually goes and sits down. Um, has this happened mm-hmm. to you when you've working on cases and done a ton of work, and then you show up and there's all of a sudden a deal and it's all over before you get to do your thing? Yeah, oh, it happens all the time. It happens all the time, and that's a lot of like those last days and weeks leading up to a trial, especially the trial you know that's maybe higher profile or more intense. A lot of that is like behind the scenes negotiating and like last minute you know, prep, trying to either get a deal or get some of the case dropped or, you know, so so I don't think, I think it's pretty common for something like this to happen. Coincidentally, Tyler also had another case that was dropped last month, which was a domestic violence case Yeah, um, with his ex-girlfriend. So Tyler, you know, things are looking up for Tyler, you know, no jail, no jail, no jail. Yeah. There's still that dog thing, which was kind of disturbing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Toby, do you think that public sympathy or empathy for Tyler has changed since the end of S-Town? I remember at the end of it, we were talking about how we, some of us anyway, felt like we had heard John McLemore make these promises and that Tyler in some way may have been justified in thinking these things belong to him. But do you think that sentiment has changed as, as time has gone on? Well, I, I wasn't one of those people who thought that. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think but, the three of us sentiment has changed? <laughs> the time has gone I, I have the foggiest idea, but I, I, you know, I mean, my my feeling is that two things. One is there's no way that that would have even been like in the realm of possibility that he would be able to claim that with any credibility, except for the fact that it was on the podcast right. and a lot of people heard it, and then they're trying to get that struck from the court, so they don't even think it's potentially reliable, right? And then the other thing is, is that John's history seemed to be kind of going from young man to young man. Like they interviewed that one guy who's living in Brooklyn. And and so, you know, in some ways, it was just a matter of timing that he happened to do it when he was friends with Tyler. Right. But, you know, a few years later, it might have been somebody else. It would be nice. I mean, my, my sense is that Tyler, it would be helpful for him to get some kind of inheritance. But I don't see why... Anything that we heard in S-Town would lead you to believe that he has a claim on on anything. Right. I mean, I think you make a good point that there is tape in the show that indicates John did have intentions to leave stuff to him. And there is also tape in the show that indicates otherwise. (laughs) Well, I don't think we ever hear John say, I want to leave stuff to Tyler. There is a quote which is kind of a veiled reference to that, but he doesn't explicitly say, I'm going to change my will, or I'm going to make sure that Tyler gets all of my stuff. He says something along the lines like, you know... He's going to take care of him. Yeah, that boy needs to have, you know, to be taken care of. Something, I I forget the exact quote, but something that we all interpreted as as that. But that wasn't an an explicit declaration that you could go into court and say... I don't know. Plus, we also don't know what... I have mixed feelings about that. I think we heard John say plenty that you could could say Mm -hmm. pointed to that. But my feelings about Tyler certainly have changed since the end of S-Town. What about you, Lara? Yeah. And, uh, you know, he's definitely eating up the uh, publicity now. You guys got to go check out all the articles that I looked up. He's, like, posing shirtless in um, photos in every one. (laughs) (sighs) Yeah. So, you know, (laughs) who knows what's next? I I could see some sort of reality show coming for him. He's got a lot of ink. (laughs) 
in his funny house. Oh, yeah, he does. He's got lots of tattoos. Very interesting. You never know. You never know. Now, Kevin, can you please read another one of these for me? True Crime Podcast (laughs) Update. (laughs) There's something about that that's both sad adorable and like the least sexy thing I've ever heard in my entire life. I don't know. There's not a lot of sexy going on this <laughs> podcast ever. Well, we heard it was about to happen, even though we heard that it might not happen. But this week's guilty plea by serial season two subject, Bo Bergdahl, was still surprising, especially given that our friend Wyrick said no way. The former Taliban POW not only admitted to deserting his post, but the plea came with no strings or deals made between the defense and and the prosecution. Kevin, does this mean that Bergdahl is throwing himself at the mercy of the court? Essentially, yeah. Yeah, it's very surprising because, you know, we're very close to the court-martial, the trial, Mm -hmm. and both the defense and the prosecution have, uh, you know, a lot to lose. No one has a solid, you know, ironclad case. That's the kind of thing that usually stimulates discussions about some sort of plea deal. And so... For him to just say, I'm going to plead guilty, either they floated the idea that Bergdahl will plead guilty if you give him something, and they just said, we're not going to give him anything, and he went ahead and did it, or he just surprised everybody and just said, you know, I've had enough. Fuck it. Yeah. Laura, what are you going to say? Wow. (laughs) Yeah, I think maybe he's just had enough, but that's uh, taking quite a leap of faith there. It is, isn't it? Don't you think that public sentiment and uh, you know everything that we heard from Wyrick, who, by the way, is actually an expert in this, kind of led me to think that he had a decent chance uh, without doing this, right? Yeah, and I'm concerned. I mean, with the current like climate in the country around Bo Bergdahl's case, I'm I'm worried. You know that other influences might come into play here, and who really knows what's going to happen? But that's um, I'm really surprised that there wasn't some sort of expected deal rather than this sort of just leaping out of a plane and hoping that you land and don't break your legs thing that's going on here. Yeah, Toby, what do you think? I I guess I haven't read the article. Why do we think that there's no strings attached? Uh, Because the uh, both the prosecution and the defense have said there there is no prearranged deal. It just it doesn't seem like it makes sense. And I could see where the prosecution and defense, particularly given sort of the commander in chief's like stated attitude about all this could potentially have made a deal and just said that they they didn't just because the heat that the prosecution would take, I, I would I would assume from the president. So I just wonder if that's the case, because I mean, otherwise, I don't know why you go through all this, wait all this time. And they're just like, oh, well, you know, whatever. I'm guilty. He did say at the hearing that he admits that he left his post and that he knew it was illegal. But he did make one last argument about um, the commander-in-chief and undue command influence. Um, He says that he can't get a fair trial, nor can he get a fair sentencing. Yeah. Because the commander-in-chief has, you know, said all sorts of things about him on the uh, the campaign trail. Some some reporters said, you know, next to Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump talked the, the most and worst about Bo Bergdahl. You know, no good, dirty traitor. But this is an argument that the judge in this case has rejected. He has said that even though Mr. Trump has become the president, at the time he made those statements, he was a civilian and had no influence over the case. So that's sort of like, again, the, the last thing that they're hoping for is to say, look, you know, you, you have to be merciful here because there's just no way that I can have the same expectation of justice that others can. That's a completely ridiculous that he would say that something that, you know, Trump said before he became president would have no bearing on it because it's pretty clear where where he stands and he's the president. I mean, he's this guy's ultimate boss. Right. And everything else that he said in the campaign trail, he's desperately trying to make reality, right? So there's no reason to think that this would not be the case, too. Yeah. And for better, for worse, I mean, one of the things the president does is he's very sort of vocal about what he thinks about things over which he doesn't really have direct um, authority over. So I think the potential for that might be an issue. The only other thing, and I don't know this, and and this would be helpful if Wyrick suddenly popped in, is there any like kind of appeals process I don't think once you admit you're guilty, there is. You mean for yeah. sentencing? But but can you but can you appeal like if he gets you know eighty years or something? Can he then go back to his his little argument and be like, I stated that there was no way I was going to get a fair sentencing. I didn't get a fair sentencing. 
can that be looked at again? I think in a civilian court, you wouldn't be able to do that. So I presume in a military court, you wouldn't be able but to. But we don't either. know. We'll have to get Wired yeah. to answer that on social media, and then we will share that answer next week. Now, the sentencing hearing begins Monday. And so we will hear a testimony from at least three soldiers who were critically wounded on missions that they say were to uh, retrieve Bergdahl. One was shot in the head and can't speak. Uh, there was someone who was you know, gravely wounded. And so... That's stuff that the the judge is going to hear as he decides what to make. All right. Now, Kevin, you have a note here that says Bergdahl speaks again. What are you talking about in this note? Well, this week on ABC's Nightline, um, there was a piece about Bergdahl, uh, an interview with him that was done by filmmaker Sean Langan. You may remember him as also a, a Haqqani prisoner. I believe he was in Serial Season 2. Well, when they talked about what does this mean, like right. what happens, right. you know, when right. you get kidnapped. So because they have that in common, it appears Bergdahl agreed to give him an interview. You know, for the most part, his story hasn't really changed since Serial Season 2. I mean, he admits that he wasn't deserting. He wanted to go report problems with the chain of command at another base and that he wanted to be Jason Bourne. And so... Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, so that stuff really hasn't changed. Right. But, but we did get to hear from him. And surprisingly enough, we also got to hear from Mike Flynn. Oh, uh, and this was the Connect the Dots guy. Yeah, Connect the Dots and guy. The other, and the other guy who was also in the Trump administration for a brief period of time. Right. Now, this was an interview that we were told uh, was, was conducted a year ago. Mm-hmm. So Sean interviewed Flynn. The same question that Sarah asked, you know, where resources moved and did all this stuff happen because Bergdahl went missing. And he said, yeah, absolutely. You know, we moved all sorts of intelligence, blah, blah, blah. But what was really surprising was at the end of the piece, Flynn said that, you know, he believed that Bergdahl was guilty, but he said that he didn't think he should spend another day in jail. Hmm. That, you know, that he had been through enough, mm-hmm. you know, as far as loss of liberty and, you know, what happened to him while he was a captive. So that's really surprising for Flynn because, I mean, we certainly got the impression that he was hardcore wanted to string up Bergdahl. Yeah, he used to be a big deal. Yeah, he used to be a big deal. So, Kevin, what do you think the likelihood is that Bergdahl has to spend the rest of his life in the brig? Uh, I don't think he'll get life. I think that he may get a certainly a you know a, a lesser sentence, given some credit for time served in captivity. You know, maybe they could you know give him one of those ankle bracelets mm-hmm. so they yep. could keep track of you know where he's going very much like the dog collar we have on our dogs from link <laughs> akc yes we that thing track is crazy where our dogs are and how much exercise they've been getting throughout the day so the link akc is it's uh, insane yeah i mean I it's it. a gps locator but that's not like the coolest part it'll measure all of the activity that your dog had, whether it's a moderate exercise or had some strenuous exercise, and it'll tell you based on the dog's breed, breed yeah. and age and weight, you know, how much time that they think how they much exercise. It's basically like a Fitbit for dogs, but it also has a lot of it other is. cool features, like it a is. flashlight that like glows from their collar, which is the coolest freaking thing. Yeah, yeah. I let, I let Stuart go into the woods with the flashlight on. Yeah, and you control it all from your phone. It's really <laughs> weird and cool, and it feels like the future. I got to say, you know how like you're like, I know it's the future, but where are the jetpacks? This Link AKC thing is like a jetpack for your dogs. It's crazy. Yeah, very easy to use. You can, it comes with um, you know a little clip-on uh, that fits on a, a collar. That it comes with a nice leather collar, but you can also remove it, put it on your special collar or lead that you have for your dog, and uh, just clicks right in. You take it out, put it on the charger overnight, put it back in in the morning, and it'll show you during what times of day. Uh, the dogs got their exercise. Also, because- by the way, a great way to test whether or not your kid actually walked the dog when they got home from school like they said they did. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit yeah. of policing going yeah, on. Yeah, I started pulling the phone out and I said, okay, Mr. Lavoy, can you tell me when did the dogs get walked? And for how long? And for how long? <laughs> brought him to his knees. Look, everyone who sees it loves it. It's easy to set up with sizes for every dog. It even won the CES Best of Innovation Award for 2017. Keeping your dog safe Happy and healthy just got even easier with a special offer from Link AKC. Go to linkakc.com and use code CRIME, crime. to save 30% on your order with free shipping. That's code CRIME to save 30% on your order with free shipping at linkakc.com. Linkakc.com, code CRIME. crime. Isn't it really funny like when the dogs leave the house and you get an alert that they've left the house? Yes, and then they return. <laughs> Then I'm told that they return. Yes, the dogs have returned. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I know what they're up to. What else you got, Kevin? Well, I mean, if uh, if Bergdahl, you know, all this time he's had, like, desk duty, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I think that probably what has happened is that he's got an awful lot of eye strain looking yep. at those computers. Probably, yeah. So somebody should have purchased for him a pair of Felix Grey glasses. Oh, that's a good idea for Bergdahl. It really is. Yeah, Felix Grey's lenses are specially designed to filter blue light and eliminate glare from computer screens, which are two main culprits behind digital eye strain. These glasses have blue light filtering technology embedded into the lens, so they remain effective without telltale yellow tint or color distortion of other blue light filtering glasses. So they look really good. They're available in both non-prescription and reading lenses, and my sources tell me that prescription lenses are in the works and will be coming. So all orders come with uh, free shipping and free returns. So you've got nothing to lose except that annoying eye strain. Yep. Give your eyes the break they deserve. Go to felixgrayglasses.com slash crime to try a pair of Felix Gray computer glasses and discover a smarter way to work. That's felixgrayglasses.com slash crime. Crime. felixgrayglasses.com slash crime. There was a debate on the official Crime Writers on Facebook discussion group this week about whether or not it's awesome <laughs> or annoying that I repeat or say the promo code with you every time. And, and what do they say? Haters going to hate Kevin. That's all I got to say. But you remember. <laughs> all right. Moving on. One of the most acclaimed true crime podcasts last year came from the Cincinnati Inquirer newspaper. Now Accused is back for a second season. Host and investigative reporter Amber Hunt and her team a.k.a. Amanda. Her team is literally one person. They look into the unsolved murder of Retha Welch this season. William Virgil's conviction was overturned 30 years later. So if he didn't kill Retha, a soft-hearted prison minister, who did? So I want to start off with the, the structure of this show, because one of the things that I found really interesting about the way that the first four episodes, there have been four episodes dropped as of the time of this taping, um, were structured is that it feels very much like a true crime book to me in some ways, but in a little bit of a non-traditional way. The first episode sort of uses the place, Newport, Kentucky, a.k.a. the original Sin City and the corruption there, and unpacks the place because, as Amber Hunt tells us, it's important to understand the place to understand the story. Laura, what did you think of that decision to use Newport, Kentucky, the original Sin City, as the way to open this story? I liked it. It reminded me of one of the shows I used to love that's not on anymore, uh, City Confidential, mm-hmm. where it was a show, I think it was on A&E. They used to do a murder case, but they would they would really weave in the culture of the city or the town or the community where the murder took place. To re- and you really got a feel of that dynamic and how that played in. So I liked hearing this background. And I was it was also really interesting to hear like the current day what it's like now with these trendy lofts along the river versus what it was then. But it started to also make me wonder what's coming next in terms of these corrupt people and is that going to play a role in this case as I was listening to that part of the story sort of unfold. Yeah, I mean, a big part of the Sin City narrative is that the police chief uh, of the city for a long time was really corrupt. He was actually indicted and convicted (laughs) in a corruption charge. And then when he left his chief's position, his son, who was also indicted, became the police chief that positions in um, Sin City were bought and sold like you get a city job very much like we as you heard in Crime Town for a few hundred bucks. Toby, how did you think about this as the opening for this story? I thought it was good. I think especially when you uh, first meet Retha and it spends a lot of time sort of talking about her, you know, conversion to Christianity and things like that. So to have an idea of sort of the environment in which that happened, I think was kind of important because I think without that sort of scene setting, at least I think I would have imagined a much sort of different thing going on than than what actually was. Yeah, I think that um, Amber does also a very skillful job in the first episode in describing the place and also bringing out some of the dynamics at play which she says, you know, weren't in play necessarily in the press around this case at the time. Like she describes as that very cool thing where she uh, does that little inside reporting thing, talking about how green reporters were assigned to cover the crime beat. Mm -hmm. And she talks to that original reporter and they talk about being very soft on the story. 
But she interviews as part of episode one the original defense attorney in this case. His name is Robert Patton, and he's the one who sort of talked about race coming into play in the story. And he made a very strange case. Yes. (laughs) A very strange remark about how in recent times he's noticed that the mixing of the races has become more common and that these couples have little chocolate babies in the stroller. This is the defense attorney who was on Virgil's side. And I thought it was a really interesting choice to put him in this episode in sort of describing the setting. What did you think, Kevin? Yeah, I think uh, episodes one or two could have flip-flopped. It, it could have gone either way. I think that probably I wanted to know more about Retha and Virgil sooner so I could be invested in them mm-hmm. and then see how the town plays into it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I mean, I think that that's neither here nor there. I mean, you, you kind of get all of that. Yeah, I actually agree with you. I would have flipped the two episodes as well because I think the place episode was really strong. But remember, they, they dropped those two episodes in the same day. So we actually got them at the same time. If they had been weekly, I think it would have been a bigger deal mm-hmm. that that episode was first and not second. Well, let's talk about Rita as a character because in the beginning of the podcast, we are introduced to this church-going former addict turned counselor to inmates and counselor to other people. And we hear from a lot of people. I listened back to episode one today and at the beginning of episode two, we hear back from a lot of people who talk about what a saint she was. She was a good person. She was a kind person. She was a wonderful person. And then there's a bit of a turn where Amber reveals more about what was going on in in Retha's life. Cynthia in our Facebook discussion group said, is Retha a saint or secret sinner? She's having a relationship with a closeted pimp after all, as well as a, a number of other men. I'm curious as to what at this point in the podcast, Toby, you think of this character. We'll talk in a second about um, Amber's handling of it. I think that's a separate question. But I'm curious to know what you think of Retha as, as a character in this point and what we've learned about her so far. I think she's she's complicated. And I, I mean, I think that's what that makes it kind of more compelling, having to sort of reconcile I guess, two sides of her, her personality. Although I think you can be a very nice, kind person who also has addiction issues or doesn't take monogamy very seriously. I, I like that that aspect of things, although it was funny that it did sort of seem like you got one picture of her and then suddenly it was you know, you got the second part of it, right. you know, it wasn't, it wasn't sort of given to you as sort of an integrated thing. Mm-hmm. It was like, oh, here's the saintly, you know, woman who kicked addiction and found Jesus. And then a little bit later, it's, she, you know, has all these sexual partners and has a relationship with this guy who's, you know, he's a player and, <laughs> he's a you know, all these different things, Yeah, yeah. you know, sort of the way it, it, it got told sort of made it seem more Jekyll Hyde mm, than yeah. I think it probably really is. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think all those things can coexist in somebody without it really being like a good side and a bad side. Yeah. I mean, I think I think the podcast initially is grounded in her revisiting the case as it is in time, you know, talking about those old news mm-hmm. stories and stuff. And so that sort of Pollyannic version of Retha is sort of through that lens. And you know, she talks to one of her kids. Laura, what, what do you think of Retha as a character and, uh, and and the fact that we did get this sort of two-sided view of her? I liked it, too. You know, I like the fact that she she's flawed and she's not the, you know, person who hasn't done anything wrong or made any mistakes. And I think that that makes this case in general, when you look at how it was maybe prosecuted, how he defended himself, it makes that much more complex. And I think the way that it was kind of revealed in parts is sort of, you know, if you look at how you would be maybe approaching this case, if you were an investigator or somebody that was going you know, step by step through the case, this is, you know, the first impression that you get of her is this church lady, she's a recovered addict. And that's sort of the first impression that is sort of presented by her, I think, and by those around her. But then as you get further into the case, that's not 
the total picture. And it's like, I loved how there was one part that, that Amber dropped in that I really liked when she was like talking about how she didn't drink. She, well, she didn't drink, but she did once in a while. I thought but, that was uh, very telling, right? But, but he still considered her recovered. But right. then I think there was another part where it's like, you know, if we go from that, she drank once in a while to then she brought over like two bottles of booze to somebody. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, mm, so this, so I feel like we're getting more you know bits and pieces as the story goes but it's in the way that it's being revealed it's almost like you are going along as it's being investigated and as these parts are coming out about her kevin i think it's a little bit refreshing to have a victim in a case that's being presented in a podcast who is quote imperfect i mean i don't think anybody is more perfect than anybody else for Uh the most part but we're so used to the trope of the beautiful, successful, had everything going her way person who's the victim. Those are the cases that get the most attention and get the media looking at them. And, you know, Serial had Heyman Lee, a girl with everything to live for, and, you know, Up and Vanished, and, you know, all these other stories. I mean, to some extent, the first season of Accused, Elizabeth Andes, same thing. This is a character somewhat at the margins whose murder is getting a very close look. Isn't that refreshing, or is that just me? Well, I, th- I think it's important to the story. It's not victim-blaming, mean, but when we talk about victimology, we talk about what risky behaviors was she engaging in. And if the perception around town is that she is a saint, then when people start wondering about you know investigating her murder, they're not going to immediately jump to the idea that maybe there's semen from three different men inside right, her right. because they don't see her that way. So those are the kinds of things that lead to misperceptions about the victim by not only neighbors and friends, but also by investigators. Yep. Now, Kevin, Amber had to do something delicate in making this transition where she reveals this stuff about Retha's personal life. We hear her do it. Nanita, our friend and Facebook group member, says, I'd like to say I really appreciate Amber's respectful attitude to the subject matter, especially in terms of the deceased personal life. I think she provides enough relevant material without sensationalizing it or exploiting it. I never felt uncomfortable with it the way I did during S-Town. Amber sends the tone for herself, but also for the person she's interviewing, and it means a lot to me. I picked up on what Amber was saying to interviewees when she talked to them about Retha's personal life when she said, this is going to come up. Uh-huh. So I'm asking you about it. I'm not asking you about it because I'm saying is there anything wrong with it? People have sex. Yes, yada, yada, yada. But like it's going to come up. So tell me about it. We've had to handle this before in our writing about true crime cases and writing about victims and their and Amber's written true crime books. So she's right. To, yeah. Tell me what you thought about the way she handled this. I, I, I thought it was fine. I mean, I think if you're going to go there, then you may as well explain that you need to go there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I mean, the thing that made season one of Accused uh, Excel was the amount of transparency in the reporting where we got to see or hear a lot of the sausage being made. And I think that that was the kind of thing that they were trying to bring in into season two. I know I'm going to talk about this later. I have some other problems, though, with yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, we will talk about your problems, I promise. But I do want to get through this content stuff first, okay? okay? Laura, what did you think about Amber's handling of the reveal about this other side of her victim, Retha? I like the way that when she sets something like this up, she's she doesn't give you, like, this long explanation. She just very succinctly explains why she's doing it and then cuts into the person that she's interviewing. So it's clear and easy to follow. And and I'll say it, it's, it is hard when you're doing interviews like that. It reminded me, you know, when I was doing, interviews in criminal cases and you had to ask people all sorts of horrible things always would preface it with like you know I'm sorry I'm gonna have to ask you this but it's gonna come up in court so it's better that we just talk about this now so that we all know the whole story so I've been there as well and and it's um it is hard but I think people do appreciate when you approach it that way so you're not accusatory you're just kind of laying it out there that we need to know all the facts Now, speaking of complicated, multifaceted characters, Toby, the protagonist of this podcast, uh, William Virgil, whose conviction was overturned and is now engaged in this civil case, he also is a complicated person with a complicated history. And he does, as you alluded to, do somewhat of a commendable job, I think, maybe describing to Amber uh, the taxonomy of pimping (laughs) and uh, and his own, you know, criminal slash nefarious slash dubious history. What do you think of uh, William Virgil as a character? And what do you think of, of the way he talks about his own past? Yeah, I mean, I think he's he's interesting in that I don't... Th- he doesn't seem like he's trying to sugarcoat anything. Well, I shouldn't actually say that because he does 
he's trying to to weasel it a little bit when she says you're a pimp. He's like, I'm not a pimp. I'm a player. And she's <laughs> finally like, well, did you take money from those women? <laughs> yeah. and he's like, second. well, yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay, so how's that different from being a pimp? And I love I love when she said, so why is, why is your nickname Champagne? Because that sounds like, and you, and you know she's going to say it sounds like a pimp's name. Yeah. <laughs> right. It was very funny. <laughs> like you get the sense that, that you know, he, he he's lived a life and stuff like that. But then when they talk about him, you know, essentially defending himself along with that lame defense attorney, the fact that he kind of was able to find the thing about how you don't have two people in the in the hole together. So therefore, this uh, jailhouse snitches testimony just can't be true. He's clearly smart. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was the for me, that was to, to me the most interesting thing that happened so far in the podcast was that moment where we hear him describing how he knew he had the thing that could get him out. And he put the argument together himself, and he was questioning the witness himself, despite the fact that he had a defense attorney, because he was just trying to get that one thing out. Laura, what did you think of that scene? It was really interesting, because I've seen cases where defendants have acted pro se for themselves. They'll be assigned an attorney to sit with them in court because they're not, you know, a lawyer and then need somebody there to advise them. And it usually doesn't go this well um, when that (laughs) happens. It's usually like, oh, my goodness. Like, I remember one trial that I sat through and the guy kept like, what about the spirit of 1876? And, And nobody knew what this guy was talking about. So this was definitely a case where you could tell he was smart and you knew that he was trying to get at something. But I have to say, after that whole scene played out, I started to kind of wonder if he was manipulating us a little bit. Hmm. Um, I feel like maybe he is smarter than we think, and maybe there's going to be more to his story like there was more to Ritha. There could be, but there certainly wasn't more to the story of the actual investigation of this case. We hear that the evidence at the scene, there was a shoe print there, and it was basically just entered into evidence as a photograph with not even like a banana in the photo for scale. Banana for scale. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And they didn't like take the tile up. We hear that the hair evidence, which was considered good at the time, no longer is. We hear that, you know, the DNA obviously didn't come into play. It was just like, this is the type of, um, you know, material that could come from this person. We hear about that. And then we, of course, hear about the GJ box, the withheld (laughs) pile of evidence uh, that was turned over at the last minute, the ex-girlfriend. But, you know, one sort of anachronistic thing I just want to mention, in the episode we hear about James Becker. Now, this is uh, Retha's boyfriend, identified as Retha's most steady boyfriend. He's the one who had the hooded figure story where he claims that, you know, he saw the hooded figure outside of her door the night that she was ostensibly killed. But he also has this crazy story of their day with the VCRs. Yeah. And that Amber feels the need to say, like, hey, for those of you who may not remember, Kevin, do you remember when you had to go rent a VCR at the video store? Uh, no, I always had a VCR, right? <laughs> Life was good at the Flynn household where we had our own VCR. We didn't have to rent one. But I do remember seeing them in the store where you could rent them along with Beverly Hills Cop 2. <laughs> um, but the one thing that really stuck out to me in, in hearing about this investigation was this conflicting notions of what an investigation is supposed to be. Now, Toby, we hear that this investigator um, disagrees with experts who talk about investigations. Um, there are two perspectives. One is that in a good investigation, you follow every lead until you find the best theory with the most evidence. And according to one investigator, at least in this case, what you're supposed to do is run down the best lead until you get nowhere and then start following other leads. What are your thoughts on those two theories of criminal investigation, Toby? Was it leads or was it you find your your suspect? <laughs> Pretty much, you, yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So two things. One is, you know, that's clearly insane because you're you're put in a situation where if he doesn't find evidence that exonerates somebody, then he's going to assume they're guilty, which is not the way it's supposed to work. And even though it's the police and the idea that you wouldn't spread the net a little bit wider on the off chance, because even if you're like, even if you're right 80% of the time, one out of five times, you're just totally wrong and you're going to go after the wrong person. The other thing is that it, you know, this sounded a little bit like uh, the way the Adnan case was handled. Mm-hmm. They're like, it's that dude. And then 
they kind of built the case around it without exploring other avenues. Seems to be a common theme, does it not, Toby? I think it's easy. I think it's easier if you have a big caseload to take a look at cases and be like, oh, yeah, it's that guy, this one, that guy that cuts down on your legwork. So I don't know how much like the realities of being a cop at that time, but that's the only justification at all I can see for, for doing that is if you just simply can't handle your caseload. But it, it can't be a best practice. Right, right. Well, we heard about how some of these suspect investigative techniques and suspect evidence stuff has ended up having there be lots and lots of people in America who have been imprisoned wrongly. And we heard that from our very good friend, legal Siri, Colin Miller, who makes an appearance in episode three of the podcast, in which we also get a shout out. Right, Kevin Flynn? Name drop! (laughs) One final thing I want to address uh, before we get into some of the issues that uh, Kevin has hinted that he has with the podcast. I want to talk about Amber's reporting style. I think she has a really distinct way of approaching these stories and of telling them, aside from just her voice, which I personally love and think is one of my favorite podcast voices because she has this back on her heels way of delivering the story. And you hear it both in her narration and in the way she talks to people. And there's a lot of consistency there, which I really, really love. But Toby, I would just love your thoughts because you sent me a note today about Amber as a storyteller and a reporter. Yeah, I think Amber, you know, what she does well is it seems like, you know, there's a couple different models of true crime podcasts. So there's like the sort of straight reporting like Dirty John, where there's a story and they investigate it, but it's basically happened and you're just, they're just sort of telling that story. The other model of the, is the sort of, I'm a part of the story, which Serial is the, is the obvious example, but S-Town was the same way and they're pain Lindsay. Um, but I think Amber does a good job <laughs> of sort of finding the, the middle ground there in that her personality comes through. But the story isn't necessarily about her finding out stuff or her growing relationship with people who are involved in it. You, you, you get to see her reporting more, I guess. Right. But it's interesting because she does she does explicitly say she wants to do right and find the truth for victims. She said the whole season one, it was like the mission statement was, I'm on a crusade to solve this thing and find out the truth. And yet I agree with you. She doesn't push buttons to make things happen. She just tries to gather facts, which I really, really appreciate, especially as someone who works in a newsroom. Like, that is what you do when you report stories. Gather facts and draw lines and come to conclusions based on facts and dig things up. And I don't know. I really appreciate that we get to hear her do that. Now, Kevin, I do want to turn to you because I, spoiler alert, on the panel, you have told me off the air that you have some issues with the production of this podcast. You're not alone. There Mm -hmm. are issues that came up on our Facebook page group. Amber addressed them. But I'd like to hear why it is that you had trouble with the show as you were listening to it. Right. As you said, Amber Hunt did go on Facebook and answer a lot of the questions that our listeners had about the technical deficiencies of the podcast and, you know, in her defense, she said that this time around, uh, there were not the same amount of resources for technical assistance. And so Amber and her partner are, are trying to get, th- you know, through it the best they can. I feel horrible because, you know, we know Amber and we say this is like why we don't like to make friends with other podcasters. No, it's, always, no, it's because, like, no, we like to make, we don't like to review things our friends yes. do. It's not the same. We've loved to make friends with other podcasters. Yes, because they created a, fant- she created a fantastic podcast a year ago. The problems with uh, the audio is that the levels are all over the place. And it's not because, oh, it doesn't sound all super sharp. It makes it hard to hear and understand what's going on. The last eight minutes of episode three, it was impossible for me to understand what was happening. I was listening in the car. And part of the problem is that I don't believe they are writing to the tape, meaning that as they set up stuff, they're not writing into what the next audio piece is, is going to be. And you know, we do like an awful lot of you know her showing us you know how the sausage is made. But it ends up being like, like this. She'll say, I asked Virgil what he thought about Santa Claus. Virgil, what did you think about Santa Claus? Uh, well, you know, I'm a big fan of uh, Christmas, and uh, I do like Father Christmas and Santa Claus. We then talked to Dr. Uh, so-and-so from the Christmas Institute about uh, why uh, Christmas is so important to convicts on death row. 
Well, convicts on death row need to have. Uh, okay, okay, right? okay. It's You're making all your point. over the place. And the problem with that is not because it's ugly. It's because it gets in the way of the momentum of the entire storytelling. Right, right. It slows it down. It's impossible to hear what's going on. There are ways you can do that. I understand, you know, she didn't have two microphones. So when you hear her ask the question, she's way off mic. You could boost that. Or more importantly, you can cut that out. Okay. Well, I just do want to say that Amber did give some really good and cogent details about the production of this. Can I just rebut? I rebut something and add something. You you can. One, this is far from the worst podcast I've ever listened to in terms of production. Amber's tracking is great. Mm -hmm. I love the music. And I think the story is narratively is put together well. The levels are a huge issue. And there's something that I wish I could do when I hear a podcast like this that I always feel like... This is what I do, right? I mix audio uh-huh. that's designed to be heard. I do it for us. I do it for other shows. It is very, very important to think about how people are going to listen when you mix your audio. And this is not something that people who make video like you have experience in. I remember when you first started working on this show, and you started working on audio. Mm-hmm. You thought that doing the audio was going to be super easy because you used to work in radio news because you used to work in video. Mm-hmm. And the thing that is different between video and audio is that in video, you are seeing something. And if you just listen to the audio track of most news videos, like there's tons of jump cuts. They sound I- like really strange. Just hear me out. Okay. So when I mix this podcast, right, not only do I level everybody the whole way through, but then I add a layer of compression so that it will sound good on car speakers in particular. Uh-huh. I do two things. I make sure it will sound good for people wearing one headphone, and I make sure it will sound good on car speakers because the thing that I think a lot of podcasters don't realize when either they mix in stereo or their levels are all over the place, that when you're in the car, you are not listening with something in your head. And one of the speakers is three feet from you. Mm-hmm. And when you listen with one earbud in, which a lot of people do. No, they don't. Yes, they do. There's no, there's no data that backs that up. <sighs> I do. I do. Because when I'm listening to something in bed <laughs> and I lay down, I don't want the headphone on the side that's on the pillow because it's right. uncomfortable. And I listen with one because I walk the dogs and I want to be able to hear if there's a gunshot okay. or another person. A lot of people listen on okay. one. This show isn't mixed with the listener and how it's going to be delivered in mind. And those are not difficult fixes, but they are actually fixes that someone who knows how to do it can do and that somebody as amber explained they're, that they're missing that resource that person isn't there who knows how to do that and amanda was away on maternity leave for part of the production of this so she wasn't there for a lot of mm-hmm. it so there's a reason why but i think it is far from the worst produced podcast we've heard all right you tell me off air what you think the worst produced one was. Oh, i will i will right. what, what do you think laura of these technical issues did they like s- seriously detract from your enjoyment or partially or what um partially and and i felt bad about that because i i really liked the story and i liked the people we were hearing from but when we had like echoey interviews and it sounded like they were in a wind tunnel i i it was hard for me to hear so it did take away but I still like the story and I like where the story's going. I just, it's a little distracting at times. One final question before we do our reviews, Toby, and I'm going to send this your way because I think it's something that you have talked about before. Josh, uh, a friend of the show, also posted in our Facebook discussion group about the difficulties of making a season two of anything <laughs> when expectations are so high. Yeah. Toby, do you think that um, Accused season two, like a lot of sophomore seasons, is facing some of that same pressure and and difficult to live up to that expectation she's not getting that pressure from me (laughs) i think that's i i don't know this doesn't feel to me like a sophomore slump the way some other ones have so yeah i i guess i haven't picked up on that it's not like true detective season two (laughs) (laughs) or uh whatchamacallit with ross from friends Uh, yeah that was sad how that one ended up all right laura bricker this seems like a good time to uh, do the thing we do where we review the podcast. Thumbs up or thumbs down. Would you recommend to our listeners that they check out the second season of Accused? What is your review, Laura Bricker? I would say yes. I would say thumbs up. I like the story because it's a guy that, you know, has been cleared as a wrongfully convicted person. But we're looking at the case in such a way to, to maybe ask, is that the case? Is there something else going on? Who really did this? So I think it's an interesting case. My only thing is it is it is hard with the audio. So like I listened to it just like on my iPad one day without headphones. I wouldn't recommend that. So you have to think about how you're listening and where you're listening. Um, but if you can get past that, I think the story is great. And I love the way that Amber tells the story. Toby, what about you? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Accused Season 2? I give it a thumbs up. I, I've really enjoyed it. You know, it's funny because I hadn't really thought about 
the sound things because I always just figure it's kind of my fault. Like, <laughs> like I must have done something yourself. wrong. But I did end up listening to it twice because I felt like I didn't have a total grasp on it. And that might have had something to do with it. That being said, you know, I don't listen to most things twice. And this one held up for the second listen. I found it very very enjoyable to listen to. Yeah, I give it a thumbs up too. You know, my listening experience of this, I will say, admit, admittedly, is different from what our audience will have because we had the second two episodes in advance. So I was able to listen to one, two, three, four in one session as I was doing like my walk and housework and stuff. And as a narrative, it all really stuck together for me. And I like the way it's unpacked. I'm a huge fan of the way that Amber reports in general. And I think she's putting her touch on this story. The audio stuff is a problem. I mean, frankly, it's a problem that I could fix, you know, just with the tape that they have. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I think about phone tape. And if you're looking at visual levels and the way they peak on a meter, phone tape will always peak higher. So there is a temptation to mix it lower. Like those are just things that you just know when you have a lot of experience doing audio. You can tell that that's absent from this. And it's an issue. And that's that is something that holds it back from being as good as season one. But I'm giving it a thumbs up. I think it's a super interesting story. Well told. I'm a huge Amber Hunt fan. Aside from the fact that now, like, I know her. I'm just a fan. Like, I just really, really love her style, love her voice. Love the way she does her work. And Kevin, what is your review? I'm a thumbs down. I'm sorry, Amber. Wah, she wah, won't. Wah. Yeah, I know she won't <laughs> talk to me again. But I'm glad everybody else was thumbs up. I just, like I said, I, I just thought I'm not giving it thumbs down because it's bad technically. I'm giving it thumbs down because the technical difficulties make it impossible to follow the story at the kind of pace that you want. I think this would be, you know, a great newspaper article, a magazine article. It's just not coming together tech wise as a podcast. So, I don't know, maybe I'll make it up to Amber by sending her a bag from La Tote. <laughs> because they have a brand new service called La Tote Select. What? La Tote will take Ooh. your style preferences and silhouette and find the best pieces for you. They, they have style and fit experts, and no uh, subscription is required. They'll just give you the best stylized clothes for you to wear. If you really like something, then uh, keep it. Uh, keep Very the... cool. So they're changing the paradigm over there at La Tote. Yeah. Wow. You could, I you definitely could... think you need to send a gift to uh, Amber from La Tote. I'm just going to say it. You need to do that. Yep. <laughs> you owe her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. We well, can order your box for a $20 styling fee and they'll apply that fee to anything you decide to buy cool. in the box. So you go to latote.com. That's L-E-T-O-T-E dot com slash select. Select to start. Enter promo code CRIME at checkout to get an additional $25 purchase credit for your first box. Once you sign up, you'll receive your stylist selected box within days. Order a box whenever you like. Keep the items you love. Return the rest unworn. You'll only be charged for the pieces you keep. It's that easy. Enter your code CRIME at latote.com slash select. And feel fabulous with stylist selected fashion delivered right to your door. It's like having a personal shopper and you only get to keep what you want, and you don't have to keep the rest. No, it's fantastic. That's it's, pretty sweet. It's like raiding your sister's closet. Yeah, it's like raiding your <laughs> sister's closet, except no one's going to be angry with you. <laughs> but Amber might be angry if you now don't send her a box from Latote <laughs> So, well, what else you got, Kevin? Well, maybe Amber would like uh, something delicious to drink from Daily Harvest. Ooh, I love Daily Harvest. Would it be great to get those picture-perfect nutrients without yes. having to hit the farmer's market and chop up a million fruits and veggies? We need to get more of that Now stuff. you can get all your superfoods super fast with Daily Harvest. Daily Harvest sends superfood eats straight to your door with your choice of smoothies, activated breakfast bowls, and nice cream vegan sundaes. And soups. Yeah, so you just uh, take the cup, you pour in some milk or some coconut milk, something like that. Or water. Or water. I've tried it all. It all works. It's all delicious. It's right in the cup there that you need. And it, you look like you've been to like one of those fancy schmancy smoothie shops. Yeah, I think you're underselling the process here. The cup that it comes in is the cup you drink it out of. And there's even a straw hole on the top. You mm. blend the thing and you pour it back in the cup. And it really is like you've gotten a smoothie from one of those fancy schmancy places. And they're more delicious and they're better for you. I love, love Daily Harvest. I love them too. And they have some really cool ingredients added in that always make me feel super healthy, like pea protein and yeah. <laughs> other things that when I, I would never buy that on my own, but it, when it was blended up with like the... Uh, 
chocolate and avocado and everything else that was in there. It was amazing. And I felt super healthy and I didn't have to shop for it. I would never make an avocado cacao shake, but those no. damn avocado <laughs> cacao smoothies are like my new favorite thing in the world. Yeah, you're right. Just add water, coconut milk, almond milk, skim milk, whatever you like. Either way, your daily harvest cup is ready in just 30 seconds. So you can eat right right now. <laughs> Go to daily-harvest.com and enter promo code CRIME, crime to get three items free off your first box. That's promo code CRIME, crime. for three free Daily Harvest cups at daily-harvest.com. daily-harvest.com. Promo code CRIME. Okay. Now it's time to move on to my favorite part of this podcast, a little something I like to call the CRIME, crime of, of the, the Week. week. <laughs> Guys, this one was both sourced and written up by Mr. Toby Ball. He gets 100% credit for this crime of the week. Congratulations, Toby, for the 100% credit. Thank you so much. The city of Orlando agreed to a $37,500 settlement after the arrest of Daniel Rushing, a 65-year-old retiree from the city's parks department, put the city... In a sticky situation, though, on the afternoon of December 11th, 2015, Corporal Shelby Riggs Hopkins pulled rushing over after he pulled out of a 7-Eleven parking lot without making a proper stop and then exceeding the speed limit. These were just pretexts, though. You see, Corporal Riggs Hopkins had been eyeing the convenience store because of complaints about drug activity. When rushing left the store without buying anything in the company of a female employee, Riggs Hopkins was on him like frosting on a cruller. (laughs) After admitting that he had a licensed firearm in the vehicle, Rushing was asked to step out of the driver's seat. At this time, Riggs Hopkins noticed a rock-like substance on the car's floorboard. Certain this was a narcotic, she gave it two field tests, both of which gave a positive indication for the presence of amphetamines. But there's a twist. I kept telling them, that's glaze from a donut, (laughs) Rushing told the Orlando Sentinel. Rushing was arrested for drug possession with a weapon, a felony that could have resulted in a 15-year sentence. Three days after a laboratory test of the alleged narcotic revealed no drug content, he was released. While the test did not specify the kind of donut, Rushing asserts it was a Krispy Kreme, and that is good enough for us. So, crime writers, what do you have in your car right now that would lead Officer Riggs Hopkins to take you into custody? Laura Bricker, I'm going to start with you. It's very interesting timing for this question this week because for the first time in my, like, five years of owning my car, it's actually really clean because I won or can won a detailing for the car. Nice. Mm. So my car was just detailed by some super sketchy people um, <laughs> at a super sketchy place. Um, so I didn't. I don't have anything left in there, but they may have. I don't know what they hid in my car. So it wouldn't be for me if you found anything in there now. Toby Ball, uh, what do you have in your car right now that would leave this very precocious officer to take you into custody? Uh, you know, I actually popped my trunk. I I just been to Home Depot and I found that I had in addition to jumper cables I had 80 pounds of salt ah. and two concrete blocks. Nice. Mm. Do you have a water treatment system in your house, Toby? I do. So do we. <laughs> but I the three sounds, put together sounds like you're going to wake down like a body and dump it in the yeah. dump yeah. it in the drink. <laughs> Kevin Flynn, what about you? What do you have in your car right now that would cause you to get arrested? Probably the umbrella I have. It's got like a pointy end and uh, you know, I could pass for the penguin. So, <laughs> I might you know, wah, 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 wah. Was that a reference to your adorable penguin-like body? Yes. (laughs) That's very funny. Well, Laura Bricker, before we wrap up this show this evening, you have to let us know, do we have a Cat of the Week this week? Um, We do have a Cat of the Week, but first, an update on the Crime Writers Kittens, people. All right. Little little kitten Kevin and little kitten Bricky have opened their eyes this week. Nice. Nice. They are growing up faster than we can imagine. Um. Anyway, so this week we are back to having a cat of the week. I've selected it from our Facebook discussion group where people are going crazy with their submissions. And we have Lucy Parrott's two kitty cats that were busted stealing toasted English muffins. And um, they are just having a lovely time chomping on these muffins next to some Honey Nut Cheerios, which made me think of Toby because there was a whole spirit like... 
There was no wheat checks, but I thought Toby might appreciate the Honey Nut Cheerios. So. Yeah. Well, Laura Bricker, if folks would like to reach out to you who may perhaps are not on the official Crime Writers on uh, Facebook discussion group and send you their cats of the week, how can they find you on Twitter? At Laura Bricker. Uh, Toby Ball, if our listeners would like to reach out to you and ask you to bury their dead corpses using the cement block and salt in your trunk, how can they find you online? Anytime. It's uh, <laughs> at Toby Ball NH. And Kevin Flynn, if our listeners want to reach out to you with their cold remedies, and by the way, listeners, those cold remedies should include whiskey, how can they reach you? I'm at Kevin P. Flynn. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Reb Lavoy. You can also check out my new podcast, HGTV and Me. Please subscribe. It's super fun. Next week, we're talking about Fixer Upper. I even have to do a chipervention with Mr. Patrick Hines. You can tweet to our show at Crime Writers On and join the fine folks in the official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group or leave a comment on our regular old Facebook page. Go to our website, crimewriterson.com, to buy stuff using our Amazon link and to sign up for our newsletter. If you love this show or any of our other podcasts, please tell a friend. And if you haven't already, leave reviews on iTunes. It makes a big difference for us. Line production was done by the very handsome Henry Lavoy. Our theme song was performed by the New York Ska Jazz Ensemble and used with permission. This show was recorded in Square Egg Studio, formerly known as Studio C, and before that, the closet in our basement that may or may not have been counted as actual square footage on the real estate listing when we bought this house. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Later. All right, so I need to get level checks on you guys. Toby. Tell me what kind of cereal you had for breakfast this morning. Uh, I fired up some Raisin Bran <laughs> and uh, had some orange juice, hoping the vitamin C would uh, would help me out, and coffee. It's the Crime Writers on Influenza edition. <laughs> yes. Dun, 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 dun. It is the Crime Writers on Coughing Edition. Somebody's peppy. This is the edition where everyone coughs and Rebecca tries to make up for everyone's lack of energy with a lot of energy. It should have had more Adderall this morning. You should have had more Adderall? <laughs> Do you get a choice? No. I'll take a keeping spoonful of Adderall. I only get what I get and I don't get upset. What's really fun is um, I have to figure out a way to go back and look, but like when people sign up for our Facebook group, they have to say who their favorite one of us is. Yeah. We could come up with some sort of graph. I don't think I'm doing very well. They all love Toby. Toby has a lot of. Well, like, that's because I go admirers. on, and if, if they like anybody other than me, I just deny them. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.